Hey, this is Dan Kogan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and let you know you matter to us because you matter to God. Enjoy the message. God with us. He is sovereign, he's kind, and he's faithful. Amen? With God, there are no alternative plans. The birth of Jesus was and always has been plan A. In fact, to, to even call it plan A uh, would indicate that there was a plan B, and there's not. So for that purpose tonight, we'll just refer to the birth of Christ as the plan. Amen? At the beginning of creation, God graciously gave to us uh, Adam and Eve as our first parents, and he gave them only two commands. One is to be fruitful and multiply, and two is not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So do you think that God was surprised when Adam and Eve disobeyed? He was not. If he were, then he is not omniscient or all-knowing and would therefore not be God. If he were not surprised, however, that means that he created Adam and Eve knowing they would sin. Now, acknowledging this has one of two implications. Either he didn't really care all that much if they sinned, or he had a greater purpose in mind in creating. Namely, he created the world in order to rescue it. Since the first implication isn't feasible given what we know about God, uh, what he's revealed to us about himself in scripture, I want to propose to you that it has always been God's intention. It has always been his intention to send Jesus, the word made flesh, God with us, to rescue us from our sin. One of the reasons I believe this is because of the promise of the virgin birth of Jesus. Immediately after Adam and Eve's sin, God pronounced a curse upon the serpent, upon Adam, upon Eve. And for the sake of time tonight, we won't go over all of the details of each of those curses. We're all fairly familiar with them anyway, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, because they contain things like work was going to be hard and childbirth was going to be painful. Can anybody attest to the fact of those curses? Hard work, childbirth is not easy. (laughs) But along with the curse came the promise. Genesis 3.15 contains this promise to mankind when God says to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now there are at least two very important observations that I want you to see in this promise. The first is, God promised that the seed of the woman would strike the head of the serpent. I hope you'll pardon me if this seems explicit, but I assure you it's no more explicit than what our students here in public school. Women don't have seed. Are you with me? Let the hearer understand. Women don't have seed. The reason this is important for us to note here is that this is the first promise of the virgin birth of the rescuer, Jesus. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. God didn't react to our sin. He preemptively decreed the rescuer. 
1 Peter 1.20 tells us that Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world to be our blood ransom. Before the foundation of the world. Now the flip side of that coin is found in Ephesians 1.4 where the Apostle Paul says that God chose us, his church, in Christ also before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. So here we see God's sovereignty and kindness in that he chose Jesus to rescue And he chose us, his church, to be rescued. That's a kind God, amen? The second important observation for us in Genesis 3.15 is the severity of the wounds promised, both upon the serpent, Satan, and upon the seed of the woman, Jesus. We read here that the serpent will strike Jesus' heel, but that Jesus will strike the serpent's head. Which would you rather have struck? I'd rather have my heel struck than my head. And at the cross of Christ, in one fell swoop, the promise is fulfilled. You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, Satan rejoiced. He thought he had won. But all he had done was struck Jesus' heel. That's not fatal. Not realizing that that was the very means that God had ordained from before creation, to inflict the fatal blow upon Satan's head. This is what Peter means when he says that Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, this may seem a bit odd to some of you as a Christmas Eve sermon, but Christmas isn't so much about the gifts that we give and receive from one another as it is ultimately about the most undeserved gift. I want you to understand that this gift of rescue in Christ was not unexpected, though. It is absolutely undeserved, but it was expected. He was promised in the garden. This is why we sing the lyrics, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. I want to speak for a moment just to those of you here who may have not yet trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know everyone here. I don't know where you are in life, in faith, but if there is anyone here who has not yet trusted Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, tune in. I'm speaking to you specifically right now. What I'm about to say to you might seem odd in our culture, but I not only beg you I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to turn from your sin, to turn to Jesus, to rescue you from your sin and the just wrath of God. When you do so, you will be made a co-heir with Christ, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans eight seventeen, and you'll receive the greatest gift ever given, the gift of everlasting life. I've labored this point so far that because of God's sovereignty and kindness, he is also faithful Not just kind of faithful. He is the very sum, the very essence of faithfulness. And he promised from the beginning that he would come and rescue us, and he has. Amen? But there's another promise. Jesus promised the disciples that he would come again. Do you anticipate that day? In John chapter 14, Jesus said that he would come again, that he would not leave his disciples as orphans. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now, some of you might be saying, well, Jesus told his disciples that he would come again, but it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come yet. Well, Peter, anticipating your objection, says to you, he's not slack concerning his promise. He's showing you patience. He continues to give sinful, rebellious mankind opportunity after opportunity to surrender to him and to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. I want to invite our elders and elder candidates forward just to the front of the platform this evening. Our musicians are about to lead us in singing Silent Night. And if you feel compelled tonight to surrender your life to Jesus as your king, please come speak with me or any of these pastors You can do that either during the song or after its conclusion. As we sing this, there's one line in particular I want you to take special note of. And that is the phrase, the dawn of redeeming grace. These songs are sung so often we can easily forget what those words truly mean. But what they mean in everyday language is that the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago was God making good on his promise to rescue us. So I'm about to pray, and we'll sing Silent Night. And as the song is being sung, uh, John Melvin, one of our elders, is going to light a candle, or two perhaps, and then I'd like for that person to turn the person next to them and light their candle until our entire auditorium is filled with light. This serves as a very simple reminder that as we go out from this place tonight, whether you are already a Christian or whether tonight you're about to become one, that we are sent out as lights in the darkness. Jesus is the true light, and we are sent out as his ambassadors. So we'll dim the lights in the house, the candles will be lit, and it'll just serve as a visual reminder that we carry the gospel message within us. Broken, cracked vessels, jars of clay. Let me pray and we'll sing. Jesus, we love you. At this time of year, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the the activities and the hustle and the bustle and buying gifts and giving gifts and favorite movies and favorite traditions. But ultimately, the purpose for this season is to be reminded not about your birth, but about the purpose for your coming, which was to rescue your creation. You've chosen us to be holy and blameless in Christ. We can't do that on our own. We needed Jesus to come and rescue us from our sin and from the wrath of God. We pray that you would be glorified in our hearts, in our homes, and in our community. For our good, for your glory, in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to our show so the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready whenever you are. And secondly, if Grace Family has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and make a donation now. And we'll see you next time on the Grace Family Podcast.